Welcome to Prescribed Listening from the University of Toledo Medical Center. Today's guest is Dr. Mohamed Ombali, whose focus is in interventional pulmonary medicine disease. Today, he discusses the Zephyr valve implant, which was approved by the FDA in 2018 to treat severe emphysema. The implant is a less invasive treatment that expands the options available to patients and allows for an increase in quality of life. My name is Mohamed Umbali. I'm one of the pulmonologists. I'm a trained interventional pulmonologist that uh, just joined UTMC February of this year. I had uh, interventional pulmonary is a new specialty that started around 2013. And the role of an interventional pulmonologist is uh, basically minimally invasive procedure. So the our role is try and bridge the gap between the general pulmonologist and the thoracic surgeons. It requires a one to two year of uh, extra training, uh, which I had in University of Florida, and I was lucky enough to join you guys here. So COPD is a chronic lung disease. It stands for chronic obstructive lung disease. Um, it's uh, usually secondary to smoking, uh, very prevalent disease. Um, I think it's the fourth uh, leading cause of death in the U.S. Uh, about 120,000 people die every year. Emphysema, usually COPD has two types, um, chronic bronchitis and emphysema. Chronic bronchitis, uh, patients usually suffer from chronic cough, sputum production, um, and less dyspnea. Patients with emphysema, on the other hand, usually are more of short of breath and uh, wheezy and have less cough and sputum production. Um, most of the time, it used to be that distinction was based on history, basically. Nowadays, with everybody getting a CT scan, when we do a CT scan, there's a lot of overlap, uh, usually. But these are the two main types of COPD. Asthma in itself is an obstructive lung disease. If, if an asthmatic smokes, you end up having a COPD, too. Emphysema treatment usually uh, starts with inhalers. We start with uh, what people know as a rescue inhaler, which is an albuterol or Ventolin or Proair. And then we move along and start uh, the rest of the inhalers, which is uh, long-acting rather than a rescue or for emergency use. There are three types of inhalers usually, and we start off with one, and eventually patients may need all three types of inhalers. That's the medical part of the treatment. Uh, there is um, other medications rather than inhalers that we can use. There are pill forms like some antibiotics that we can use. There is something called thiophylline, which we reserve for more advanced cases. And then pulmonary rehab. These are the main treatment options for COPD. And the more advanced it is, the more treatment you need. As the um, COPD advances, the patients m may need more invasive procedures and the treatment options for that used to be depending on the patient type and preference and characteristics uh, we had the uh, surgical lung volume reduction as well as lung transplant so zephyr valve is a, a form of uh, lung volume reduction it's a device that we use to achieve lung volume reduction as i mentioned it used to be surgical lung volume reduction in the early 2000s and with the advancement of technology we were able to achieve the same lung volume reduction using what we call um, endobronchial valves. There are two types. There's a two companies that make these. There's a Zephyr valve that comes from Pulmonics, and there is 
aspiration valve, which comes from Olympus. The um, whole idea of lung volume reduction, regardless if it's surgical or bronchoscopic, came from the surgery ward. The um, patients with emphysema usually have a lot larger lung volume than a normal person. So an average person would have like five liters of air in their chest and the emphysema patient will have what we call hyperinflation and air trapping and these patients will have seven eight liters so you, you shove in you put in eight liters in a space that's supposed to have five liters the bony cage with time will expand and you'll have what we call barrel shape you can tell the way they look if they have emphysema or not when when it's so advanced and then the other way that you can go is go downward so you actually push against your diaphragm so that the diaphragm usually is a nice dome-shaped, and but when you have the, all this air pushing against it, it, it becomes flat. So if you have a muscle that's relaxed and can contract, so when you take a breath, it goes down and it becomes flat. But if it's already flat, the patient will not have a space to take in a bigger breath. So um, a surgeon named Brantigan, 1950s, I think he thought about, well, if we find out which part is damaged and then we can take it out, will restore the shape of the diaphragm and, and the patient will breathe better and he's considered the father of this uh, emphysema lung surgery. And I think um, in the early 2000s, and specifically I think about in around 2000, they did a study in uh, the New England Journal of Medicine, it's called the NET trial. That NET trial was what triggered, they actually studied surgical lung volume reduction and they um, they chose a specific subset of patients um, it, it it still had some mortality associated with it and 50% of the patients were still ill by a month and discharged to long-term acute care facilities and then people in the community started doing that lung volume reduction as I said the results that were seen during studies it's mostly in academic centers it's better results uh, not great but it's still good results for patients to improve the patient's quality of lives but um, when they started do it, doing it in the community outcomes were not the same they were even worse so people thought about is there a way that we can do the same lung volume reduction without having the surgery and the side effects we came out with this uh, one-way valve that actually goes into the bronchial tubes um, it will let air out but nothing in so that you put it in the most damaged part of the lung and then that most damaged part of the lung will deflate eventually causing reduction and uh, without having to go through surgery and it's, it's done bronchoscopically you just put it in the bronchial tubes it's a very 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 simple procedure but it's very brilliant that when i think about these zephyr valves or lung volume reduction bronchoscopically in general i think the best thing is it, that it's reversible the best thing is you can always go back, take these valves out, and the patient will go back to where he was before, he or she. So the surgical lung volume reduction is a very, it's a major surgery. Um, when I talked about the um, outcomes, typically when you have a big centers controlled environment, uh, the surgeons who do the surgery are very well uh, trained in these um, research settings, the outcomes, because of all the taking all the variables and all the meticulous follow-up, the outcomes are better. But 
that's for the surgical lung volume reduction. And then when it went out and became something that everybody can do, the outcomes were not as good as when it's done at surgical centers, more experienced centers. And that's expected, right? For the uh, Zephyr valve, it's still a relatively new procedure. Uh, the studies that have led to its FDA approval were in 2018. And uh, these... Um, Outcomes that you saw in, st in the studies, depending on how much volume the center has and, and things like that may affect your outcomes. But overall, uh, it's a very satisfying procedure for the patients. And it, I truly believe it does help them if you pick the right patient. The, the best thing about this procedure, again, if you had surgery, you have a, a, an incision and they open your um, ribs and they take that part of the lung out, so it's gone. But in this case, the best the really best thing, besides being non-invasive, is you can reverse it. If it does not work, and there may be some patients that will not be very satisfied or won't have a great improvement, or maybe they even have some worsening, these patients, we can just take it out. So uh, the Zephyr valve, uh, and that's what we use at the University of Toledo here. The reason I chose to use that, and um, I have no conflict of interest, there are two companies, as I said, Pulmonics and, and, and Olympus. Olympus valves has four sizes, five, six, seven, and nine. The Zephyr valve have a size four and five. So when you're doing the procedure, chances of missizing when you size the bronchial tubes of the patient, chances of missizing are way less if you're using a Zephyr valve because it's two, two sizes only. And the other thing is um, the Zephyr valve has um, a as a technology that's not available for the Olympus um, spiration valve, which is called the Chartist system. So before placing a valve, we actually go with that bronchoscope, inflate a balloon, block the most damaged part of the lung, and then make sure that it gets collapsed. So we know for almost for sure that when we put these valves, that it's going to work if it's placed correctly. So this this um, chartist and collateral ventilation assessment that we use with the Zephyr valve is not something that's offered by Olympus, and I think most of the centers tend to use the um, the pulmonic Zephyr valves. So candidates for um, bronchoscopic lung volume reduction in general would be patients with emphysema, who, which is severe enough that they have done um, they're on the maximum medical therapy, which is all the inhalers, um, they have quit smoking, so they've done their part. They participated in pulmonary rehab, and they're still having symptoms. Again, the outcomes are different from patient to another. That's why I usually ask the patients, what, this is a procedure, it still has its own risk. What are you trying to achieve? What's, what's very important? Why do you want to go through this? Because if the patient is satisfied with his breathing status, they don't have to do this. And the ideal patient would be patients with emphysema, not actively smoking. We do not put valves on patients who do smoke. And then when we do a lung function test, we have to see a, a certain degree of air trapping because the whole idea is to deflate one part of the lung. These patients have to have um, very high lung capacity and a residual volume that's not participating in airflow. These are the patients that would benefit most. Most of these uh, patients, unfortunately, will have other comorbidities. They'll have heart failure. It comes hand in hand. And will have to make sure that their symptoms are from COPD. And we are doing that just to make sure that we do the procedure that would 
help the patient. So if the patient has heart failure, his symptoms and has COPD and we treat the COPD, his symptoms may be because of heart failure. So we have to make sure that uh, when we do these procedures, because it's still a procedure, sometimes we do it under anesthesia, general sedation and uh, general anesthesia, and, and it comes with, own, with its own risk. So we have to pick the patient, the right patient for it. So we'll, the patient will have the best outcome possible. In the bronchial valves have um, been studied for the last 10 years. So as I said, everything started with the surgical lung volume reduction in 2000. 2011 studies have been ongoing for um, in the bronchial valves. Multiple studies were done. Most recent is the Liberate study and the IMPROVE, and that led to the FDA approval in 2018. The intent of the valve to stay indefinitely uh, we don't have more than five year worth of data to support that it's going to stay or not, but the idea is for it to stay. I think um, people, patients who had valves placed a few years ago, some of them can have some um, granulation tissue and some um, reaction because it's sitting there. It's a foreign body staying in your lungs. They did not have to have these valves removed so far. So I, I would imagine that, that there's patients who participated in the very first trials in 2011, they may still have the valves. After the patient receives um, the valves and, and um, depending on the response, most of the time they will have to continue using their inhalers. As I said, there are three types of inhalers and there's some medications other than inhalers we can use like prednisone. So um, if the symptoms are controlled, one benefit of this procedure that would be maybe we can start tapering down their steroid doses. If the patient is not on steroids and they're on the three inhalers, there is a possibility that he can come off one of them, which is the inhaled steroid. So instead of taking three inhalers or combi some, some inhalers have three in one, uh, we can go to two in one. But most of the time you will have to continue at least two inhalers. Another benefit that some patients will have is, and, and that's very concerning to patients, is oxygen. They always ask, am I going to be able to come off of oxygen or not? The, um, the answer is it depends, basically. If um, most of the patients will, after the procedure, need more oxygen while they're in the hospital, and then with time and the adjustment and uh, blocking of that most damaged lobe, blood will be shifted to the good parts of the lung and they will eventually need less oxygen. So the goal of the um, bronchoscopic lung volume reduction is to improve the patient quality of life and that's why um, I always ask the patients what what are your expectations. The patients with emphysema are really sick. I have seen patients who can't do anything without getting breathless. They, Some patients will ask we just want to go out and get to the mailbox and come back. Some people, some patients would say, I just want to take a shower by myself. Um, some patients uh, want to walk their dogs, want to play with their grandkids. The benefits of the Zephyr valve is, if you look at numbers, the average improvement in the FEV1, that's uh, a measure of lung function, is about 15%. Most of the patients were able to walk longer. And then there is a questionnaire that we use to gauge how is the quality of life for patients? It's called the St. George questionnaire. And that patients who had the Zephyr valve were able to achieve a meaningful um, 
improvement in their quality of life. I had a patient the other day who I did a Zephyr valve on. He, he came after a week after being discharged from the hospital and then to my clinic. And I was like, why are you here? And he was saying, I just came to say thank you because it's... I, I feel great. And he was saying he usually goes to the shopping center and when he goes to, he can either go to the pharmacy side or the grocery side. He can't really, but he was able to come off of ox, off oxygen and he was able to go all around and without having like to stop to catch his breath, which is very rewarding. I had a patient, she was very happy that she can just leave the house, go get her mail from outside, come back. She can do more than that, but that was what she wanted to do. About the Zephyr valve, it's, uh, assessment is done on outpatient. The procedure usually is done under either conscious sedation, which is minimal sedation, or it can be done under general anesthesia. It requires a three-day hospital stay. Patients after the procedure can develop um, what we call a collapsed lung and pneumothorax. 90% um, of the time that happens in the first three days. We uh, do the procedure in the morning, we admit them, observe them for three days, so they'll have the optimal results while we're monitoring them closely for this possible complication. It does happen in uh, about one in five, one in four. Patients who has this complication doesn't mean they're not gonna benefit from the vows. Again, four, three out of four or four out of five of the patients will just sit in the hospital, uh, nothing happens and they go home. This is the uh, most common complication of the procedure. About 25 to 30% of the patients will have a pneumothorax. Um, at least half of them will get to keep the valves and we do not have to remove it. And the patients who had the pneumothorax, their outcomes are the same as patients who did not have a pneumothorax. So they still get to keep the valves, they still get to feel better. And, and the pneumothorax, meaning that the lung has collapsed and meaning that the valve worked. It, it, it's an expected outcome of the procedure and that's what the valve is intended to do. So it's not a, a side effect per se or a complication of the procedure. It's an expected outcome based on some patient's uh, characteristics. The lung volume reduction uh, referral system. Uh, there is a website, if any patient looks up Zephyr Valve centers, they go by zip code and then they'll tell you which centers provide this service. I think we're the only center at, at Toledo that provides this uh, service. The closest place would be Henry Ford, and I think they're one of the busiest in the country. Um, and then, um, Cleveland Clinic does provide that service. Patients do not need a formal referral. There is a phone number usually on that website. When you find any center, you can just call that number. Uh, there'll be a, um, a coordinator that will pick up the phone and usually screen, uh, ask some questions to make sure that you may be a candidate or not, and then set you up with the physician to have an assessment. Again, uh, it's a new service, so it's not very well known yet. Patients do benefit from this. I implore the uh, pulmonologists or um, internists or family practitioners when they have these uh, severe emphysema patients who they did what they can. These patients have stopped smoking. They're using the inhalers. They did their physical therapy. If they are still symptomatic, they should be offered this uh, as an option. Thank you for listening to Prescribed Listening from the University of Toledo Medical Center. To learn more about the provider you heard on today's show, visit utmc.utoledo.edu. If you enjoyed today's episode, rate and review us on your favorite podcast app. 
More prescribed listening next week from UTMC.